You've got your Bibles, grab it and make your way to the book of Luke. I know I told you last week that we were going to be done with the book of Luke, but I can't help myself. Uh, that's where we're going to be. Linus's memorized passage. Uh, if you are a guest with us, let me say a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, uh, just want to reiterate what John said a little bit earlier about our Christmas Eve service, four o'clock this week. It's going to be different than things we've done in the past. I'm basically just going to narrate the entire Christmas story. Uh, and we're going to have people coming up and reading different portions of scripture. We're going to sing. There's like 10 Christmas carols. Uh, it's going to be a great night. And then we'll end it with um, candlelight. We'll have communion. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. Bring a friend. It's going to be a good night. But when, when I think of Christmas, and I think uh, just kind of across my life, there are two things that, that really stand out to me year after year that come together at, at Christmas time, perhaps more so than any other time throughout the rest of the year. Now, obviously at Christmas, we're going to think about the angels, we're going to think about the shepherds, we're going to think about Mary and Joseph, we're going to think about the stable, we're going to think about the Son of God being born, that's the whole purpose of Christmas, that's what it's all about, where this one who exists outside of time is made in time, where, where the author of the story writes himself in and enters into the story. And so you think about all those things, we think about um, the shepherds hearing the angels and they run to Bethlehem and, and they find Jesus and they worship him and you've got this meeting at a manger that takes place. But for me, what shines forth so brightly just year after year as we celebrate the birth of our Savior is a different meeting. And it's this meeting, this coming together of two uh, attributes of God. And I'm going to give you some big words here and I'll define them. But it's this coming together of God's transcendence, all right, his glory, his power, his majesty, his sovereignty, just big God, all right, his transcendence, and then also his imminence, his being God with us, being close at hand, near, right here with us. Those two things come together and they meet at the manger in the birth of the Son of God. And it's that meeting at the manger that I want to kind of unpack to you uh, this morning and just try to remind you of even just a sliver of God's glory uh, in, in His immensity and His beauty and His magnitude so that your heart can be inflamed this Christmas with security and with satisfaction and peace and love and joy. Just knowing that, that this big God out there has become Emmanuel, Christ with us right here. I think it is only as we recognize the true glory of God in the highest, His, His transcendence, that we can feel the depth and the wonder and the joy of His presence. His, to get it. That He's so big, yet He's right here. If we just think he's kind of small and he's right here, no big deal. When we recognize glory to God in the highest and yet he's here, that will inflame your heart and fill it with security and satisfaction and peace and joy and love and hope. All the Advent 
thing. So I want to try to unpack that a little bit to you. So let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8 that John read just a few minutes. I'm going to read it again. In the same region, there were shepherds. All right, at that time, shepherds were... It's not Old Testament shepherds. This first century shepherds were looked at as like the scum of the earth. They were the, the woe man on the totem pole. Socioeconomically looked down upon. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and watch this, three titles, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, Christ is not Jesus' last name. And these are all titles. He is the Savior. He is the Rescuer. Okay, The one who's been promised from long ago coming to rescue the world. He's also the Christ. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Anointed One. And He's the Lord. Old Testament, this is the word Adonai. This is God. It's Yahweh. So He is the Rescuer. He is the Messiah. He is God. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And so I want you to notice the emphasis on glory here. All right, the emphasis on glory, you've got it right there in verse 9. The glory of the Lord shown around them. You've got it in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And so you've got this emphasis here. And this is not just like an anecdotal detail. The glory of God is one of the biggest themes in all of Scripture. Mentioned twice here, but it's just who God is. It's pretty much on every single page of Scripture. He's glorious. He's transcendent. He is high and lifted up. He's beyond us. We can throw all the adjectives we want to, and I'll, I'll try in just a minute, but it escapes our capacity to describe. His glory is just the idea of splendor, beauty, magnificence, radiance, heaviness, sovereignty, power, weightiness, prominence, preeminence, luminescence, majesty, holiness, wonder, awe, perfection, worthiness, supremacy, honor, omnipotence, omniscientness. I think I made that word up, but it works. Omnipresence, grandeur, greatness. It's who God is. And it's all over the Scriptures. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? That means He is shouting at us. He's shouting with clouds. He's shouting with storms. He's shouting with um, the blues of the sky, the, the expanse of the ocean. He's, he's shouting with the um, golds and sunsets and in sunrises. He's shouting at us. He's saying, I'm glorious. Open your eyes and see it. This is like who I am, only better if you know me. Psalm 24 talks about how Jesus is the King of glory. 
He's in a class completely by himself. He is other than us in his perfection and his greatness and his worth. He has infinite perfections. He has infinite greatness, infinite worth to the point that he can't be exaggerated. Everything else can be exaggerated. You can't exaggerate the greatness of God. You can't exaggerate the holiness of God. It cannot be overstated at all. Ever. He's beyond exaggeration in His power and in His might and in His grace and in His greatness. He's infinite in these things. And as I've said before, I'm convinced that the reason we don't treasure God and worship Him as we ought and, and see Him as supreme as we ought in our own lives and the reason that we don't walk in joy before Him is because we've lost this vision of His absolute glory and His absolute transcendence. And instead, we've traded it in for an impotent, domesticated, middle-class-sized deity that we can explain and control. We want to strip Him of His majesty and His mystery. So we can... i got my little God right here. I understand. I control. We want to be God over Him. And not only is that blasphemous and idolatrous, it also robs us. It robs us of the joy that we should walk in before His greatness. And it actually hinders our own and other people's ability to believe in Him because we treat Him as so weak and so puny and really just kind of a bore and a chore. Physicist Charles Misner wrote, the design of the universe is very magnificent. And I've read this to you before. It should not be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religions, although he struck me as basically a very religious man. Einstein must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen so much more majesty than they had ever imagined and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that the churches he had run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. And he's right. Because if we will get an accurate picture of the God of the Bible, the one true God and what He truly is in His essence, who He is, sovereign in power, infinite in glory. We'll see that He's eternal. He has no beginning. He's always been living and eternal. He was the living God when the universe banged into existence. He's the one who made it go bang. He's the one who created everything out of nothing. Unless you want to argue with me that matter is eternal. There's either an eternal God who created everything or there's eternal matter that just has always been and it came out of... Either way, you are making a faith claim. Faith in eternal matter or faith in eternal God. But they're faith claims either way. That's another sermon. We'll do that one another day. But He was the living God when the world began, he began the universe. He was the living God when Socrates drank his poison. 
He was the living God when William Bradford governed Plymouth Colony. He was the living God this week. And he will be living 10 trillion ages from now when all the puny pot shots against his reality will have sunk into oblivion like BBs on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. There is not a single person in power today that will be there in 50 years. No matter how awesome they think they are. But God will. In 110 years, this world will be populated by 15 billion brand new people and the 8 billion of us that are on earth today right now won't be here. We will be gone. Like a mist. It's here and gone. But God will be. God will be. He has no beginning. He has no end. He depends on nothing. He always has been. He always will be alive. And like we talked about, He created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo, that's Latin for out of nothing. Just His might, His glory, His power. He speaks, things happen. So there was nothing on the, on, the, on, the, on the micro level. There was nothing. There was no oxygen. God said, let there be. There was oxygen. There was no nitrogen. God said, let there be. There's nitrogen. On the macro level, there were no stars. There were no planets. God speaks. Now there are. This power is ridiculous. I will give no spoilers, but I went and saw... The Last Jedi, Friday night. This is the closest of a spoiler that I'm going to give, but I'm, I'm going to keep, keep away from it. There's one person, place, or thing, because this is Star Wars and everything's weird, but there's the one person, place, or thing who in the movie does something just ridiculously powerful. And in the movie theater, everybody's like, whoa! We all geeked out about that the power of that thing moment. That's nothing. This person cannot place or think, cannot create things out of nothing. Cannot speak and now micro level oxygen molecules. Okay, I'm going to deny, I'm going to design a cell. I'm going to put the human heart together like this, the brain like this. Can't do that. But God can and has just by speaking. The things that the Hubble has not even discovered just by speaking. That's the God we stand in front of. That's the power. That's His majesty. This is His sovereignty. Every molecule He created and it obeys Him. Stars come into and go out of existence when he feels like it. That's the God we bow before. He's a big God. And it's this glory of this God that shined down on the shepherds on that holy night so long ago. And what did it do? It terrified them. I mean, an angel shows up. And the glory of the Lord shone around him and they were filled with great fear. And so every single time an angel shows up, they always have to tell, it's okay. I'm not, you're not going to die. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. It's all right. 
It's, it's okay. People are, we're going to be terrified. The, the power, the glory that's just emanating out of the angels is the glory of God, not their own. Terrifies them. And so we have to get rid of our bad image of angels as pretty ladies or babies with cloth diapers. Cloth diapers are not going to be in heaven, praise the Lord. But as terrifying as these angels are, as terrifying as they are, Isaiah 6 tells us that they themselves fear. In fact, they they hide in holy fear and reverence before the splendor of God. So they're terrifying. We're terrified of them. Yet they hide in holy reverence and fear, proper fear, respect, awe of God the Father. So how much more should we then respect God and see Him as powerful? But an angel shows up here. The glory of the Lord shones, you know, shines around them and they were filled with great fear or sore afraid, KJV. But that was just one angel. One angel. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Then we get verse 13. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And so multitude does not mean 50. Multitude does not mean 500. It does not mean 5,000. It does not mean 500,000. It's heavenly host beyond count. So I, I completely think that at this moment, Every single one of God's angels was there peeking in, trying to see this moment because it was the most monumental moment that had ever been in history. God was incarnating. The Son of God was becoming a man. Make sure you understand, Jesus didn't begin here. He's eternal. Son of God, second person of the Trinity. But He's incarnating here. He's becoming a man. Remaining what He was, God, He's becoming what He was not, human. Fully God, fully man. That's why Isaac Watts, in his great Christmas carol, Heart the Herald Angel Sing, wrote, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see." Hail the incarnate deity. This is who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. And He's the Lord of all these angels. He's the Lord of hosts. Meaning He's the commander-in-chief of all the forces of heaven and earth. He is sovereign over all of them. They are subject to His greatness and His sovereign power and will. So Jesus is just completely other than us in His power and His perfections and in His glory and in His authority in the universe. And so folks, our triune God is not some needy deity in the sky just fawning over you to worship Him and make much of Him so that He can feel good about Himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He needs nothing. Who He is? He's the Lord of hosts. He's in control of all things. 
So kill any vision of God as a whiny, lowercase g God who basically bribes you into worshiping Him. Because He needs it. No, no, no. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is perfect. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent, majestic Lord of hosts. Nothing He needs. Nothing he's lacking. Nothing can make him greater or lesser. And he's sovereign over all things. Every molecule obeys him. Stars come into and out of existence at his whim. All right, we've laid all that. Here's what I want you to see and get though. This God, this eternal Lord of heaven and earth, all powerful, all knowing, sovereign over all things, glorious, majestic, holy, transcendent God of the universe, absolute power beyond anything we could imagine. This God, knowing every second of your life, my life, every God belittling action, thought, motive, deed that we've ever done or would do has of his own good pleasure come after you in Christ. Think about that. He didn't have to. He needs nothing. He doesn't need you. But He did. He chose to. Of His own volition, of His own mercy, of His own love, He didn't have to. Of His own good pleasure, He did this. He sent Christ to be your substitute. To live a life of perfection because you can't and didn't. To die for your sins because they must be paid for. And so he substituted. Jesus substituted himself. And then rise again to bring us salvation and freedom from sin and death. And so this great God that we've been describing this morning did that over lowly and insignificant in the scheme of things, me and you. And when you start to get that great God, who did this for me, that will inflame your heart with gratitude and thankfulness. It blows my mind. Why would you do that for me? Understanding His massiveness and that He came after us. And so for those of you who viewed God as this little controllable thing and just, you know, He's kind of there and He's a genie and I can go, you know, Rub the lamp and get my wishes or get some help, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. He may not have any power, but I'll do it. Like a rabbit's foot. You are robbing yourself of basking in this mind-blowing good news of the power of God and His love for you. This good news of great joy. He's come after you in Christ. And now through faith in Christ, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 that Valerie just read, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That God, transcendent with us. Imminent, right here. Close. High and lifted up, marvelously glorious and out of reach, imminent right here, like personally. 
near you, close by with you, concerned about, transcendent God, powerful, concerned about, and caring for every detail of your life. There is nothing too small that God's not concerned about. I'm not talking about brown socks or navy socks. But things in your life, he's concerned. Maybe he's concerned about that. I don't know. He's concerned about every detail of your life. I hear people be like, I'm not going to pray about that. You know, God doesn't want to be concerned. Yeah, he does. He's involved. He already knows the beginning from the end. He's working in you for his glory and your good. He's concerned right here. Transcendent God, imminent right here in your life, caring for you. And that's one of the biggest things at this time of year, celebrating the birth of our Savior, teaches us that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Not just then, but now. Hold on to that. Grab that. Bring that into your heart. That in Christ, God is with you always. And always will be. We see it in His birth. Emmanuel, God with us. We see it in His resurrection. Right before He ascends, He says, And lo, I will be with you always. Even to the end of the earth. Or the age. And so know that. Know that God is with you. And your friends, I've seen this play out in my own life over and over and over and over. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Even when I didn't understand what was going on, He was still there. He was there. He was there when He called me after several years in corporate America to shut that down. Go to seminary and become a pastor. And so six months later, Sarah and I, our oldest, will be 13 this year, was four months old. I quit my job and we moved from Atlanta to Wake Forest, North Carolina. I had no promise of a job. I got there. Two days later, I had a job that was working, get this, three miles from the seminary was, a, was the sales rep for uh, that, that repped some of the products that the company that I worked for manufactured. So they hired me on the spot, paid me more than I thought I would ever get for the kind of work I was doing, um, gave me, I could change my schedule every single semester based upon my classes. If I wanted to work more, I could. And the, no one in that office was a Christian. There was only about nine of us. No one in that office was a Christian. Yet, just for the heck of it, like a moment, like God with Cyrus, every so often the boss would come and give me like a thousand dollar check, a fifteen hundred dollar bonus. Just cuz. He was there. When I got ready to graduate from seminary, I have no ministry experience whatsoever. None. Right? I have no idea how I'm going to get a job. So I send, and I only sent out like three resumes to places. And so I sent some resumes out in our very own Russell Gill. 
there were some others who were involved. I know Doug and I know Valerie as well, Wanda Castleman as well, probably some more. But but Russell has got this stack of resumes and he's going through it and you know they're looking at this and they're wow this guy's got great experience and he's been a pastor for so long and he's done this and he's done that and then he comes to mind he's like this guy has no ministry experience he can't even number things correctly one two four <laughs> but for some reason. He looked at that one and put it in his pile of like not throwaways. And then after a little bit longer, he started campaigning and trying to talk other people into the reason that they should get to know me a little bit more. Why? I mean, just because he had a hunch. God was there. He's involved. He's not absentee. And so then, uh, eventually, some time later, when I became the lead pastor of this church, six months after it started, uh, when it was just an absolute dumpster fire in the midst of a train wreck. God was there. When I wanted to run away, He wouldn't let me. He was there. When Eden was born, unexpectedly, with Down syndrome. And then this massive list of medical conditions that kept her in the hospital for four months of her life, and colon surgery, and heart surgery, or inability to eat, and even stuff extending to today. We've got an upcoming three-night stay at Cincinnati uh, in January for some procedures. God was there. It doesn't mean it went hard. It doesn't mean it went painful. But, and some of you have experienced this, there's just a peace still. It just was. I wasn't worried. I didn't lose sleep. He was there. Right there. Like, not just, I mean, yes, Sovereignly working and taking care of things. And I mean, she, everything's pretty great now. She's got a couple of things still working on, but, and so, but not just that, but like they're loving me, taking care of my heart. I mean, she's so good and kind. Right here. Transcendent God. Imminent. On and on and on I could go. But friends, He's there. If you are in Christ, He's with you. With all that power, with you. Bring that, this lesson from His birth home into your heart. He's there. And He gets it. He's 100% God, yeah, but He's also 100% man. This is the mystery of Christmas. The incarnation of Christ. Hypostatic union of Christ. That's a big word. But because of that, because He's fully human also, not only does Jesus know about life in this fallen and broken and often difficult world, He knows it because He lived it. He experienced it. He knows what it's like to live this life because He lived it. So He knows your struggles. 
He knows your challenges. He knows them sovereignly because he's God. He knows them personally because he's walked them. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. We never hear about Joseph. After the after Jesus is 12 years old. We hear about Mary. But we don't hear about Joseph. He knows what it's like to lose his father. His earthly father. Or to watch a loved one go through pain or painful experiences and suffering. He knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to feel all alone. Not have a friend in the world. He knows what it's like to be praised and how fickle that praise can be. He knows what it's like to be criticized, to be mocked, to be belittled, misunderstood, and condemned. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to to be troubled, to be deeply grieved in your heart to the point that he falls to the ground knowing what's coming for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming the next day. He's grieved. He knows what it's like to be sorrowful and be tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be tired and hungry and thirsty and frustrated. To be angry righteously. To be disrespected. To be unloved. He knows it. And He's with us through it all. Emmanuel, God with us. And it's just as true in our deep valleys as it is on our high mountains. He's there. Emmanuel, God with us. And just to underscore this, I want to show you one last quick thing. Look at verse 11 again. And notice what it says. All right. Verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Okay. Angels show up. Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11. Notice what it says. For unto you is born. Who's the you? Specifically, who's the you? Right here. When this happened. Shepherds, shepherds, unto the shepherds, right? This child is being born unto the shepherds. Unto you is born. So these words are like a a tag on a Christmas present. To the shepherds from God. To the shepherds from God. The angels were were placing a tag on the manger. Two shepherds from God. But some of you guys are already there. You're pointing. It's not just the shepherds. It's also us. To you. To you. To me. From God. To Chris Holshoff. From God. The Savior is born. To Bo Dudley from God. To 
Pam Frith. Happy birthday. From God. To Jennifer. From God. To Bart. From God. Jesus is a present given to you from God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Big God, transcendent, in need of nothing, doesn't need you, did that for you. And through faith now, He's with you. Always. Even to the ends of the age. And so know that the one who is the epitome of glory, the glory of God in the highest, is also Emmanuel, God with us. And He's with you and, 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 and He always will be. It's good news of great joy every Christmas but really every single day. Transcendent, imminent, with you, given for you. That's Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we try to contemplate your height and breadth and glory and grandeur and majesty. We can't. Our minds get boggled as we think about space, as we think about the universe and the galaxies and the solar systems, our, our mind gets boggled by the, there, there's no end of that. Yet you created all of that. That is in the palm of your hand. You cause planets to orbit. Suns, you cause these stars to exist. You cause black holes and supernovas and nebulas. And you just as simple as us writing the letter A on a piece of paper. Your power and majesty is beyond us. Humble us properly. Fill us with awe and wonder at who You are. Those feelings of immensity we get as we stand in the face of something unbelievable. Like the ocean. We think about our smallness. We look at its immensity and yet we're filled with joy. Multiply that times infinity. And help us to feel that. And take joy. In something other than ourselves. In you. And Father, I pray especially this Christmas that whatever struggles we have, whatever worries we are in, whatever pain we are experiencing, that we would know intimately and strongly 
you are with us. You are there. And we would trust you more than our eyes can see. You know the ends from the beginning and you call things out from afar. Help us to trust you and worship you as you alone deserve. King of glory, heavens declaring your glory. Transcendent and imminent in Christ's name.